Welcome back to the Discovery and Forestry podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Corey Lofi, alongside our friend, Mr. Arborjet Joe Aitken, here for another compelling conversation about trees. Joe Aitken, happy winter. How, how are you holding up over there? You know, winter showed up this morning. Um, we've been, you know, it's been pretty mild, but uh, everybody's talking about this big Arctic front that's coming in and it dropped right on Michigan, dropped 40 degrees almost yesterday. It is uh, negative eight this morning. We got a couple inches of snow and it's going to snow for the next two days. So everything's good. I love it. I, I love it. The trees are beautiful now. Everything's great. Um, as long as you don't have to go outside. Um, it's a beautiful time of the year. Winter solstice. It's going to get warmer from this day on. So we're in the right direction. But all is good. So what's going on out there? Anything exciting? I think you had a quite the a snow event recently. Yeah, we, we did. And by the time this episode drops, it'll be it'll be the new year. But um, yeah, right right before Christmas here, we had sustained winds about 55 to 60 mile an hour with gusts uh, over 100 miles an hour. Wow. Wow. At about a foot, uh, maybe foot and a half of snow, we have four to five foot drifts uh, here at nine thousand feet in Colorado. So it's been it's been fun. It's been fun. Yeah, you look a little wore out. I I you are listeners who can't see you on the screen. You look tired, buddy. I'm I'm worn out going into the holidays, but uh, but no, this is but this is good because you know it's a great time of year for us to reflect, but it's also a great time of of year for us to really think about where we want to go, right. Where do we want to take the next year? What is the next, what what do the next hundred episodes, what do the next hundred years with our guests tonight, uh, what do they look like? So it's, I, it's, I forgot to even say happy hundredth anniversary. Happy hundred to you, man. We made it. So for our listeners, just so you know that this is 100 for us. They haven't missed a week in two years. That's pretty good. It is pretty good. And speaking of, um, one hundreds, um, we got a pretty special guest on um, our guest tonight or today. Uh, we've been trying to get um, her on for a while. And I think this is the perfect timing is that before the end of the podcast, we're going to explain why. But uh, enough of us bantering back and forth. I would like uh, to take the pleasure of introducing Caitlin Pollahan to the show. For those of you who don't know, Caitlin is the executive director of ISA. Now, when we, <coughs> excuse me, um, when we, well, Caitlin, jump on and say hi. <laughs> hi, everyone. How are you? Good. We're, we're good. What well, now, when we say, I, I always had this issue when we took, because I've been involved with local chapter ISAs. Do we introduce executive director ISA International or how do you, how do you differentiate? Oh, so yeah, oh, you she with Ohio or, but this is not just a local chapter. This is ISA. Yeah, so everybody does it a little bit differently. Some people say uh, ISA International. Some people will be very clear that it's the mothership um, or whatever language they use to describe the difference between the chapter and the international society. Um, but generally, we all work together so closely that we just kind of say ISA and, and clarify that it's the one based in Atlanta. Oh, the, the one in Atlanta. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, I got that cleared. Um, thank you so much uh, during the holiday season for taking some time to come on the podcast. 
Um, I would love the opportunity for you to give a little background on yourself. Absolutely. Um, maybe share some things that people don't know. And um, I'm going to throw some some questions in there afterwards because you've you've had a a big hurdle over the last three to four years with ISA of some of the things you've had to accomplish. So that sounds good. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So um, a little bit about myself, something that people don't know. Um, you know, I think that people assume that I joined ISA um, from a more traditional kind of business and association background, which I absolutely have, but I also spent the majority of my career working as an executive director for an organization that represented foresters, state foresters, um, regional foresters at the Forest Service and research station directors. And so prior to joining ISA, I spent most of my time talking about policy and, and US legislation and how it impacted not only the Western US um, and the work of the state and the federal agencies that are in charge of our um, public and private forest lands, but also um, on a national level, helping to inform what that looked like for the National Association of State Foresters. So um, although I have a communications and, and business background and I hold my certified association um, certification, executive certification, my true kind of um, connection between the, the past careers positions that I've been in has been on the nonprofit and association side and on the natural resources side. Um, so I worked as a lobbyist, government affairs director before going working in forestry um, for the Home Builders Association. But what started my connection to being interested in working in natural resources was working on green building regulations. Um, so I helped to build the Missouri Green Globes uh, green building um, regs. And then I also um, worked on all their OSHA um, compliance from a builder's perspective. And so um, there's been this thread of um, natural resource topics, TMDL um, stream listings, and those kind of tree ordinance issues from the local level, working with the home builders on that side of the that side of the discussion. So I don't think a lot of people realize that. Very interesting. So you've been you've been dealing with trees. Um, ISA, ISA came up and you applied and you became the new executive director. Now the previous executive director I've known very well, Jim, Yeah. Um, you had to grab the reins from Jim and as a new executive director, ISA made some pretty big changes under your, uh, your tenure so far. Um, and you know, and there was a lot of people that weren't happy about it. But I think you did it so gracefully and so professionally that I, I think that everybody's over that. But some of the big changes that you had to do since coming to ISA, fill us in on a few of those big things. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the one that you're probably alluding to is the one that involved the address change of our organization, which, you know, I started at ISA about five and a half years ago now. And one of the first things that was a theme that I heard from people was, wow, you moved to, you moved to Illinois, you know, congratulations on the position. So has ISA always been in Illinois? And it was this interesting question um, about where the organization was, was sitting in the world. 
And the board had been talking about it for years prior to my arrival. Um, and so, you know, as I was settling into the new position, the board was having that discussion. And I think that one thing that people who haven't worked in an organization where you report to a board of 15 very diverse um, people, right, that guide the direction, the strategic direction of an organization like ISA, my job as the executive is to make sure that they have all of the tools and the information that they need to make really important decisions for our organization. I'm in essence, the lead staff member that helps to power the organization. And I truly believe that in my seat, that my job is to make their jobs easier and to give them what they need so they can make the best decisions possible for the people that elected them into those positions. So they started unpacking where ISA sat in the world. And I was very clear that if they made that decision that they could count on me to continue to be in my role. You know, I was in the same position as all of our team members. This decision, if the board made the decision to make the move would be very impactful. But if it was done the right way and if it was the right decision for the organization, I was going to be all in and help the organization get to where it needed to be. We're an international society. We represent at this point, as of this week, 26,000 plus members. We hit a big milestone this, this week. So we're going into the new year with a much larger footprint than what we had when, when we, before we made the move. And so I think some of what the board was hoping would be realized by making this watershed you know, move and transition has been realized. It wasn't easy and it was very impactful, not only on the board members who made the decision, it wasn't an easy decision, but on our staff members that we had in Champaign who may or may not have been able to make that transition with the organization, um, as well as our new team members who then we were hiring in a new location and, and having to educate and onboard them um, to what ISA does and the important work that we do on behalf of our members and our credential holders. And so, yeah, that's, that's one of the huge changes that's been made. Yeah, um, I'm so glad you, I, I want to, I'm glad you mentioned that because by serving on boards uh, locally, I think, unfortunately, when big uh, changes like that occur, the finger gets pointed to the executive director. But I think what, what was great with what you said is that you just facilitated the move that was voted upon by a board of directors. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think uh, the listeners need to know that is that you didn't show up at ISA one day and say, Nope, we're going to Atlanta. This was something that was in the process before you even hired on. And it was a board decision elected board that decided that we needed to make a change. So mm -hmm. thank you for letting everybody know about that. Absolutely. And I do think it, I mean, I think that personally, I, especially now that we're three plus years out from that decision and from making the physical, physical move, you know, some of the decisions that were made by our team members and by our board during that process actually allowed ISA to be successful over this pandemic that we've been dealing with. You know, we made some very um, early decisions on how we stored information and where we provided um, services and how we did that, that allowed us to navigate 
the shutdown to show up for our credential holders and our members and advocate for them being essential services in partnership with some of um, other organizations like TCIA. And so it allowed us to be more nimble and to actually make the change to remote work and still keep our level of service as high as it as it is on a normal on a normal regular um, basis. So I think that the move itself helped to um, maybe unintentionally put us in that position and and become a more nimble um, change um, supportive type organization. Yeah, I think uh, your first virtual um, conference, and I'm going to say as a, from a vendor <laughs> side, not as a personal side, but you had to transition quickly and there were some, there was quite a few debacles, but you were the first organization that really had to do it at that scale. So thank you for taking it on the chin for everybody else can do. <laughs> it's definitely been a learning experience, but <laughs> one of those, I think a silver lining is that we were able to meet um, and connect with some of our, our members, our supporters, people who maybe had never been to an ISA event in a way that we had never been able to before. And so that virtual event and, and not so much of a conference, true conference anymore, but we're going to retain that. This year, we actually just last week wrapped our virtual event for 2022. We had over 2,000 people participate in that, in that event, and the feedback has been excellent. Um, so we're really excited about that ability to not only return to in-person, but still have some of this virtual connection opportunities with people from all around the world. We offered it in six languages this year for the first time. Wow. Um, so that's super exciting for us. And I, I not to speak for Corey, but I think you're, you know, the, the, the pandemic also pushed, pushed Corey and I in to another forum to try to reach out and keep the bar held high. So mm -hmm. <clears throat> it was funny. You know, Corey, you can jump in too. Is it, we were at a, I think, were we at a um, a strategic planning meeting in Boston for work? And we're like, we got to do something different. And I think ours was virtual then, too, that we decided, all right, we got to do something. Well, and that's 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 true because that was such a trying time. I mean, you talk about 26,000 people. That's 26,000 professionals in the yes. field, the, most of which get their hands dirty and, and you know, are breaking the sweat and running trucks and saws every day. So, you know, for, for you and for the International Society of Arboriculture to keep everybody together and still offer that education and, and not only education, but offer that sense of community, yeah. I think is even bigger. I think that's amazing. Just amazing. I'm I'm just still scratching my head at how, you know, how we could pull that off or you could pull that off, especially across the globe, because international, like you said, I mean, that's it's everywhere. You know, I think some of it has been a shift in how we as an organization talk to um, people in the profession and talk to our members and credential holders and that sense of community and, and talking about this network, this global network. That's one of the things that the International Society of Agriculture can bring that some of our partners can't, right? They're either sector specific, like the Utility Arborist Association, or they're geographically specific, like the Ohio chapter or Pendel. That, that is a really important part of the ISA footprint and partnership and network. But on the international society side, <laughs> the global aspect of, you know, knowing that you're a part of a 26,000 
person conduit of information and, and community where there's arborists in Colombia and in Brazil and in um, the Netherlands and in Hong Kong who are dealing with the same topics that you are, maybe different trees, right? Different tree species, different, um, you know, geographical um, issues, um, cultural issues, but same same topics at its core. Well, and that that's curious because as you're saying this, I'm thinking, how do we how do we bring it all together? Like what what's the next? Where do we go from here? Where does ISA go from here? And and how do you, how do you capitalize not just on your member base but on uh, all the specific and interesting things that everybody can bring? How, how do you yeah. do that? <laughs> so we're constantly in a test testing mode and piloting mode. Um, we've been doing things like um, member um, spotlights in some of our um, magazines and in some of our um, digital outreach. We've been looking at and trying to ensure that all of our committees have diverse um, representation on them. And then that helps to kind of continue to build that different perspectives coming to the ISA prior to us even releasing new products. We're testing different kinds of translation. You know, I mentioned the virtual event and we used AI technology through a vendor to upload our actual already translated glossaries into the AI, into their system so that we knew that the technical terms would be correct in those translations that were overlaying the speakers. We're gonna be offering that at our in-person events. Um, wow. One of the things that we're testing as a way to really meet our members where they are is moving the ISA in-person conference around the globe in a much shorter time frame. So I don't know if, if you all saw this, but we just announced last week, we'll have 2023 in-person in Albuquerque, and then we're going to culminate our centennial year in Atlanta in 2024. And then 2025 will be in New Zealand, which we're really excited about. I know, and we're getting ready to start working on our 2026 location. And so we're trying to ensure that we have the ability to show up, um, whether that's virtually, whether it's in person, whether it's through products that speak to the topics that our global memberships are interested in, um, but it's difficult. And I think we're, we're realizing that, you know, one of the main ways that we're able to be successful is through our partnerships with other organizations. And so you asked kind of what we see coming, what we're working on. I think you will see an increased focus on um, the partnerships that we've built over the years and creating new partnerships. That's something that, you know, when I was hired um, by the board of directors at ISA, they were very clear that they really wanted ISA to show up and to be um, engaged with others that are working in our green space. And so that's something that we've spent a lot of time on and that we're going to continue to invest in moving forward. A couple of things uh, I picked up on. <clears throat> now you have a, you have your, your background is more traditional forestry. Mm -hmm. Corey and I are more urban forestry. Yeah. Um, I have noticed recently that you have been reaching out to, other organizations <laughs> is there a connection are we ever going to come connected because right now i think that we're i think urban forestry gets treated like the the redheaded stepchild of the tree care industry um where forestry traditional <laughs> excuse me dirt foresters kind of got this bravado that hey um are we ever going to work together 
What do you think? Yeah, so it's interesting. People always, when I say I come from a forestry background, everybody assumes it, it was only traditional forestry. But interestingly enough, our organization had a very strong urban uh, committee that actually helped to decide um, how we messaged across the Western U.S. Um, I sat, um, we ran all of the landscape scale restoration grants from the from the USDA Forest Service um, in the Western U.S. that often had an urban footprint. And um, I'm actually the current chair of the Sustainable Urban Forest Coalition right now. So uh, my term there actually ends in, in March, but it, I've been in that seat for about two years. And, you know, urban forestry is very important. And ISA as an organization has many members that work and um, engage in urban forestry. And so I think that you know, when the transition was originally made with our journal of arboriculture to be the journal of arboriculture and urban forestry, that was the beginning of, of a shift. You know, we have the municipal specialist certification that has a significant percentage um, of, of urban forestry um, in that in that test, in that exam, um, percentage-wise relative to the domains. And I think you're going to continue to see that be something that um, comes to the surface as we continue to move forward with our job task analysis um, of that certification that we're going to probably see an increase in that in that uh, percentage um, and in that domain in that certification itself because we are getting more and more um, feedback that our members and our certification holders are working in what they would consider urban forestry as a as a sector almost so that trend is going to continue I think and and yes ISA is showing up in a more visible way with our partners whether those are our component very close partners with our chapters and our associate organizations and professional affiliates or if it's groups like the Arbor Day Foundation Tree Care Industry Association um, or any of the other groups that we engage with on a regular basis. Fantastic. Keep up the yeah. good work. I appreciate it. Yeah, this has been a nice, uh, nice conversation to kind of think about kind of where we've been over this past couple of years. So I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, there's one, you said something can't, we can't get away without talking. <laughs> <clears throat> you said centennial. Centennial. It's exciting. So ISA is turning 100. That is amazing. Yeah, it's it, well. Congratulations on your hundredth podcast. That's this has been a a great uh, way of kind of celebrating both of those those milestones. And you know, Joe actually um, is very familiar with the ISA centennial planning because he happens to be an active member of our committee that we have of past presidents and engaged members to help inform what we're going to do to celebrate this amazing accomplishment as a society representing professionals without without giving away too much yeah especially if it's if it's you know on lock and key hidden somewhere what what can people look forward to especially isa members for this hundred <laughs> year celebration what, what what's a teaser that we can give folks yes i can definitely share i can definitely share some teasers um I think there are going to be some surprises that we'll probably keep keep back, but um, we are going to enter our centennial year in August of 2023 
uh, I'm sorry, in, yeah, August of 2023, I can't believe we're at the end of the year already, um, in Albuquerque at our annual in-person um, conference. And we will culminate that and, and um, celebrate the ending of our centennial year in Atlanta in 2024 for our in-person conference. So ISA came from a gathering of arborists and scientists and it sprung out of a meeting. So it's pretty cool that we can bookend this fantastic year with two in-person events. So those people who are attending the event themselves will definitely have, um, the, there will be some thematic celebratory um, events happening at those in-person events. But for those who aren't able to join us, we're going to be looking at special editions of the of Arborist News and articles on ISA history, um, talking about where we are currently and where we're headed into the future, because not only is this looking back, but it's going to be looking forward at where we're headed over the next hundred years as well as a strong professional society um, that has a global footprint. So there will be um, not only special articles, I think we'll have interviews with past leaders, um, really mm -hmm. highlighting the work of the association itself um, and, and, and our engaged um, partners and, and members. It makes you wonder if when they, uh, when they walked out of that, that room and says, yo, we're gonna start an association. And I know it's changed names mm -hmm. through the time and I'm not gonna, so we're gonna hold on to all the goodies and the name changes for <laughs> when we. Um, but, but there will not be a name God, change you, for this hundred year celebration. I promise. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm curious. You know, when you like Corey and I, we throw get a, a podcast together. Whoever thought it would make two years, but an association that hits a hundred, that's pretty good. That's it's good. amazing, and it's you know it it speaks volumes to the volunteer leaders. I mean, our first executive was volunteer for years. It speaks to the volunteer leaders really having passion and and commitment to push something along that they felt was important for the people that they were trying to bring to the table. And then it also really speaks volumes to the ISA staff leadership over the years um, and and the team members that we've had. I mean, that's. That's what helps power um, the organization itself. And, and it's really grown over the years. And I think we'll continue to see that growth because there's such untapped um, potential, not only to bring new people who are in the profession to the table to benefit from learning from their peers and learning from the experts, but also to you know really make sure that we're, we're pushing the fact that um, Arborists are professionals and that, you know, people do need to hire professionals to help inform not only what's happening with the trees in their front yard, but also, you know, trees in, in public lands and in, and in uh, parks and in all in our community. So I think that there's there's a lot of um, opportunity that we are going to continue to realize over the next hundred years. I'm excited. I'm not sure Me if too. I'll see the end of the next hundred years, but I'm going to try. <laughs> No, that, that really is amazing. And Caitlin, Joe and I are so grateful for you and for the organization, everything you do um, to, to really raise the bar in our industry and, and keep people in our industry, uh, not just positioned as professionals, but growing as professionals. And I think that's just as important. And um, as we as we wrap up here, would there be any any final um, comment or advice or just something that, that you want people to know 
uh, about either ISA, the direction they're going, or, or any message that you want to spread? Ooh, that's a that's a good ending question. There's so many directions I could go with that. Um, you know, I think something that maybe isn't said publicly as often as it needs to be is that, you know, ISA and the direction of the organization is truly informed by its members and and that there are numerous feedback loops that are available for for members and for credential holders but that the board really bases its strategic work and its um, decision making and its approach based on the feedback that they get from membership and they really um try to do not only kind of town hall and outreach but have those opportunities for our members to truly engage. And so I would just I would just want to let people know that there are so many opportunities to help inform and influence where ISA goes in the future and that we are always um, looking for new volunteers and and for in you know new board members and for credentialing council members and that, there are opportunities for involvement, whether you want to get involved just a little bit or a lot. And um, I'm always happy to talk with people about those opportunities. Um, and so I would just recommend that if, if there is somebody who's interested in helping to inform where we're headed, that there are plenty of ways to do that. And I'd love to talk with people about those opportunities. Caitlin, thank you so much for taking the time. Like we said earlier, um, keep moving it forward. Uh, I like the, the fact that you left with at the end, and Corey and I are, are good proponents on the podcast is get involved. You know, don't sit back and, you know, piss a moan about it. If you think there's something needs to be done, be the one that makes the change. So great words to end the podcast. So again, thank you so much. Uh, wish you and your family the best uh, holiday season. And I can't wait for the new year to start so we can continue to work on some really cool things together. Absolutely. Thanks to you both. Hey, great topic today. Yes, and lots of good information. Yeah, probably one of our best yet. If you enjoyed the podcast or have topics you would like to discuss, please send them to discoveringforestry at gmail.com. And please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. Thanks, guys, uh, for tuning in. Until next time, I'm Joe. And I'm Corey. Signing, Signing out. out.